0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. You are listening to the audio of a blog from cornfieldtheology.com. Cornfield Theology is a ministry of Redemption Hill Church located in the Des Moines metro. Anthropology 101 Series Intro Every month in 2022, I'll be writing a blog post about anthropology, humanity, and sexuality. This series of blog posts will be used to foster discussion and to drive the reader back to Holy Scripture to learn about God's grand design for men and women. I hope and pray these blog posts will offer greater clarity about God's design for men and women, And I also pray that learning about God's design for men and women will result in praise. Anthropology 101 There is mounting pressure on the church to conform. The pressure is coming from every angle. The questions faced by the church are, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? Can a woman become a man? And can a man become a woman? What are the implications of how a person understands the self? All these questions are fundamentally anthropological. Anthropology is the science of human beings. From a theological perspective, anthropology deals with the origin, nature, and destiny of human beings, per Merriam-Webster Dictionary. If a Christian wants to know what it means for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman, then the origin, nature, and destiny need to be found in Holy Scripture. When a Christian searches the scriptures for their origin, nature, and destiny, the world of anthropology is intersecting with theology and suddenly the doctrine of humanity. Here's a good quote about the doctrine of humanity. The doctrine of humanity is one in which we would expect ourselves to be naturally interested because we are humans. But there's more to the importance of the category of the theology of humanity than just that we happen to be interested in it. It's actually objectively an important part of God's ways with the world. Of all the things God is doing with all creation, He has a special eye on the part of creation that is created in His image that is, humanity. The path toward having a solid understanding of humanity begins with a foundation of biblical anthropology. Thorny questions can only receive answers after the foundation is laid. So many questions. I want to argue that discerning proper anthropology is one of the essential conversations that needs to take place in the local church. At present, we are not having a conversation. However, if you're going to understand yourself, you need good anthropology further Your anthropology affects how you understand others. If anthropology reveals the nature of a human being, then how did that nature of a human being come to fruition? Is the nature of a human being malleable or is it fixed? A bevy of questions can be asked when delving into the deep end of anthropology. The cultural conversation about sex and gender is anthropological. Since the dawn of time, sex and gender have been inseparable. Some would even use the words synonymously, but in the 21st century, because of philosophical hocus pocus that makes transubstantiation look like a fact, sex and gender are two different malleable concepts. Here's another question. What roles, if any, are there for men and women? Until recent church history, the church has made clear distinctions between men and women in the home, church, and society. Your anthropological foundation will inform how you answer the question about the roles of men and women. Should women be placed in a combat position? More anthropology. All of these questions garner attention, but they are superfluous without anthropology. I hope you get my point. Don't pontificate about the roles or lack of roles for men and women unless you can explain the root of the claim. Cultural Vibes Before going to Holy Scripture to seek a foundation of anthropology, I need to say a few words about the current sexual revolution present in our culture. I can't delve into the history and psychology of the sexual revolution, but I'll point you to Carl Truman's fantastic assessment called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. This book deserves to be on your shelf. And if you're not a fan of reading... Check out his video lectures on the topic. In addition, I wrote a book review, which you can find here. But here is the bottom line. The sexual revolution is stripping away the vestiges of biblical anthropology. As a result, Christians, particularly younger Christians, are confused, ambivalent, or apathetic to biblical anthropology. Or worse than being confused, ambivalent, or apathetic They're being taught to believe in anthropology contrary to God's word. What is going on in and outside the church might be encapsulated by the prophet Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here is one of the problems, and there are many problems. Pastors are not warning the church about the cultural influence, but acquiescing to the culture. Instead, pastors should teach the truth to the church and then equip the church to be agents of change in the culture. So it's no wonder that churches are filled with confused people regarding anthropology, humanity, and sexuality. The church has forgotten that God says a lot about men and women And the church does not need to apologize about how God created and designed men and women, but the church needs to rejoice at his holy design. Back to the beginning. Building a biblical foundation of anthropology begins in the first chapter of the Bible. On the sixth day, God created the crown jewel of his creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here's verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Before God rested on the seventh day, something special took place early church father Gregory of Nyssa highlights the magnitude of verses 26 and 27 set against the rest of God's creation. And I quote, this same language was not used for the creation of the other things. The command was simple. When light was created, God said, let there be light. Heaven was also made without deliberation. These though were before the creation of humans. For humans, there was deliberation. He did not say, as he did when God created other things, let there be human. So how worthy are you? Your origins are not in the imperative. Instead, God deliberated about the best way to bring to life a creation worthy of honor. When Gregory says God deliberated, he is not suggesting God sat back wondering what to do next. No, God created male and female with special care in distinction from everything else he created. Here are the most crucial points to be made from this passage. Male and female were made in the image of the triune God. Male and female were made in the likeness of the triune God. Male and female were given joint responsibility to have dominion over what God created. Moving from prose, verse 26, to poem, verse 27, we read a key indicator of what it means to be made in the image of God. In verse 26, the plural pronoun, are, is used. Why is this significant? Augustine explains. For why the are, if the Son, is the image of the Father alone? But it is on account of the imperfect likeness, As we have said, that man is spoken of as after our image, and so are that man might be made in the image of the Trinity. This image is not equal to the Trinity, as a son to the father, but approaching it. As is said, by a certain likeness, as in things distinct, there can be closeness. Not, however, in this case, as if spatial closeness, but by imitation. Between the insight of Gregory of Nyssa and Augustine, we see something special developing. They help us understand the depth of what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. But there is more for us to glean from these verses. As Strawn and Peacock also note, man as male and female does not owe to an evolutionary outworking, but to divine intent. The creation of male and female was not an accident, but due to God's providential hand. Genesis 1 rightly steps back to present the big picture of God's created image bearers. Genesis 2 will begin to fill out the complementary dynamic between man and woman. But for now, it's worth observing what a man and woman have in common. John Paul II can help us see what unites male and female. And I quote, Genesis one twenty seven establishes that this essential truth about man refers to the male as much as the female. God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. One must recognize, goes John Paul, that the first account is concise, free from any trace of subjectivism. It contains only the objective fact and defines the objective reality both when it speaks about the creation of the human being, male and female, in the image of God, and when it adds a little later the words of the first blessing. This is verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. The objective truth is that God created male and female with equal dignity, worth, and value. God created male and female with shared goals to steward God's creation and to create more image bearers. I want to highlight a critical point that a person's dignity, worth, and value are not tied to function, sex, or the amount of money in a paycheck. Dignity, worth, and value are connected to the Imago Dei being made in God's image. The culture will suggest otherwise, but indirect contradiction to the word of God. Conclusion The debate between complementarianism and egalitarianism has been raging on for years. I will pick up these terms in future blog posts to explain them in detail. But these terms are meaningless for Christians to discuss and debate unless a foundation is laid Only after biblical anthropology is laid from Genesis 1 will Genesis 2 and the rest of Scripture make sense. God created male and female in his image and likeness, and God created them with joint tasks to steward, subdue, and multiply. While male and female are different, they come together as one, Genesis 2.24, to display God's glory and goodness on the earth. In light of what I've said, Here are several questions to consider. Number one, I would encourage you to read Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 and note the use of the pronouns. What do you think is being communicated in the creation of male and female? What are the implications of being made in the image of the triune God? And number two, what additional places in the Bible speak about the creation of male and female? I would encourage you to take a moment to look up these passages and read them. And then number three, what is the message from culture about the creation of humanity? How is it different from what we read in Genesis 1? You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.